We've been, um, we've been looking at encounters with Jesus over the last few weeks and uh, I was just thinking about the message this morning and thinking about the introduction. Introductions usually aren't my strong point and so my wife reckons it takes me about 20 minutes to actually warm into the sermon. So I'm, you know, I try to give some thought to it so that I can get in there and I was thinking about it today and, and uh, I realised that what God was showing me was not for the introduction but it was actually for the bit that came just before the family investment time. And uh, we, I, I have a guy that was uh, very influential in my life musically when I was growing up named Kevin Prosh and uh, he didn't always do the right thing but that's another story. But he has a line in one of his songs and it says, would you walk into the room tonight? Would you walk into the room tonight? Would you walk into the room tonight and change everything? And when we think about an encounter with Jesus, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about asking Jesus to come into our life and irrespective of what it is we're going through, Jesus, would you come and change everything? And guys, that's my prayer for you today as, as you're going through sadness and grief, which is normal that Jesus would come in and change everything for you. You know, there was a man in a tree. Someone preached about that a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus walked past his tree and changed everything. There was a woman in the village in the middle of a crowd. Jesus walked past as she touched the hem of his garment and changed everything. There was a man who couldn't walk and his life was hopeless. Jesus was in a house. He was lowered down through the roof and it changed everything. And I want to talk about another encounter this morning about changing everything. And I've just got a poem that I'm going to read out. It says, Anticipation. Filled the air like the fragrance of the summer rain that watered the ambition that was stirring in my heart. To circumvent the rising of the ones who were perverting traditions that I cherished. So I pledged to do my part upon the road down to Damascus. Emboldened by permissions that was handed by the elders of the people to hunt down those who followed the sect they called the way. It was a holy coiling I convinced myself while riding. I would find them. I would take them. I promised God that day upon the road down to Damascus. Brilliant was the light that shone from heaven as a blend of love and power unfelt yet so familiar knocked me from the horse I rode. My companion standing gobsmacked at the force that had unseated me and sent me dazed and falling quite undone upon the road down to Damascus. Apprehended, I lay there for what seemed like an eternity, space and time suspended like a thief caught in a snare. I found myself the captive of the voice that asked from heaven, why are you persecuting me as I lay prostrate there? upon the road down to Damascus. Disconnected all at once from the persona I had crafted like a blacksmith, forging weapons with the bellows and the stone. 
My capacity is all undone by the separation from the culture that had formed me. I found myself alone upon the road down to Damascus. Struggling with eyes that no longer functioned, I groped for one to help me to rise up from the ground. And stumbling in darkness, they took my hand and led me like a beggar, blind and helpless they had found upon the road down to Damascus. Clarity, increasing like the morning light of dawn, lost sight returning as the scales fell from my eyes. And I heard Jesus calling in the voice of Ananias, saying I would be his servant and heaven be my prize. So confident I tell you, God's my witness, King Agrippa. That's my story as it happened and I haven't been deceived. And from the day he apprehended me till standing now before you, I've not been disobedient to the vision I received upon the road down to Damascus. We... uh, we talk about that, don't we? We talk about a Damascus Road experience. It's become part of our vocabulary. And people who may not even know what the Damascus Road experience was will use that term. You know, I hope they have a Damascus Road experience. This, um, this series has been fantastic. For me, there's nothing better than an encounter with Jesus. For that very reason, it changes everything. And I believe that, you know, I I can't believe my luck that nobody did Paul. You know, it's like they're they're telling me all these things and I'm going, someone's going to do Paul. You watch, somebody's going to do Paul. And I got to the end and nobody was doing Paul. And I went, yes! (laughs) For I believe there is not an encounter with Jesus and another human that has impacted the world like that day on the road down to Damascus. Just the things that happened, the things that he did. I've got to get back to my notes because as it is my want, everything that in my life ends up a six-week series. And if I don't look at these notes, we could be here a while. Listen to this. The magnitude of the moment is measured by the legacy that it leaves. The magnitude of the moment is measured by the legacy that it leaves. I want to think you want you to think about this, this moment when Paul meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. It completely revolutionized his life. And we, we'll look at that in a minute. It was responsible almost individually for the growth of the church in the first century. I think it would be difficult to argue that it was, it was not the pivotal point. It was not the turning point for the church. In fact, it says after, after Paul had been converted and uh, had made his way back to Jerusalem and then had to get out of Jerusalem because they tr- the Jews tried to kill him, it says that the church experienced a season of peace and incredible growth. It's like that moment was a turning point in history. But even greater than that, you and I are the result of that day. Because Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You and I are at the end of that chain. 
Because from that day, the words of Jesus have been entrusted to faithful men who entrusted it to faithful men and women who entrusted it, who entrusted it, who entrusted it. And then one day, somebody entrusted it to us. And it changed our life. Yeah? And, and so from that day, we've been entrusting it to others. The magnitude of the moment is measured by the legacy it leaves. What an incredible legacy we have. So today I want to look at what the encounter of Jesus with Paul can not just, we can learn something from the encounter, but also what difference encounters can make in our lives. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 9, we're going to read it. The incredible thing is this story appears three times in the Bible, not once in a gospel. Three times this story is recounted. Acts 22, Acts 26 and also in Acts 9. So we ready to go? Okay, we're going to throw it up there. I've got it on a piece of paper because I'm going to read faster than the screen man can press the, press the button up there. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of the, uh, the followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want to stop there for a second and I want to remind you back to the last time I preached about Peter. Remember? Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. Mary, Mary, sorry, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. And here we find that same... um, that same language construct, Saul, Saul. It wasn't a chastisement. They, they tell us it's an expression of love, that, that double repetition of the name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of somebody's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Imagine if he said no. See, all along the way in our journey, there's people who had an encounter with Jesus and acted obediently, and it changed our lives. And this is true about Ananias. He acted obediently. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But, uh, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. 
And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It's a really interesting phrase when you consider Paul later on when I think writing to the Corinthians talks about I've been shipwrecked three times, I've been whipped, I've had this imprisonment, all this. And right there at the beginning, right there in that encounter, Jesus says, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Is it little wonder he gets to the end of his life, he's writing to the Philippians from a prison in Rome, and he says, it's my deep desire and my earnest expectation that I would not be put to shame but with perfect boldness, just as I've always desired to do, that his honour might be seen in my body. Whether I live or die, that his honour might be seen in my body. You don't utter those words if you've not had an encounter. So Ananias went and found Saul and he laid hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. Afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately... He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues and saying that he is the Son of God. We desperately need an encounter with Jesus, don't we? See, Sunday school stories can't change a life like that. They can't. And, and so often we stop praying for our friends just short of an encounter with Jesus. Because they get interested and through a series of clever conversations, they make a decision for Jesus and we go, yes, they're in. And we leave them there. And then we spend the next 20 years counselling them, encouraging them, trying them to, to get them to live like Christians, etc., etc., when maybe an encounter with Jesus could have fixed everything. Would you walk into the room tonight, Jesus, and change everything? Three, three impacts of this counter on Paul. The first one, it was immediate. The scripture says there in Acts chapter 9 verse 20, immediately he began preaching that Jesus was the Son of God. Immediately. He didn't go, oh, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to go home and sleep on it. No, immediately he began speaking about Jesus. A little bit later on, a couple of verses later, it says when he was in Jerusalem, he began proving to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. This is, see, I, I kind of love all this kind of gear. He, he proved to them that Jesus was the Messiah and they, they couldn't gainsay him. They couldn't beat down his argument. So they thought, I know what we'll do. We'll kill him. Sort of note point there. They were not interested in the Messiah. 
because Paul proved that Jesus was the Messiah and they went, no, we don't want to know about that. We're not interested in the Messiah. We're not interested in where God wants to take us. We're stuck back here in the temple. But that's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. It was just interesting. Immediately. The second thing, the impact of the encounter was radical. You know, it's kind of similar to imagine an Osama bin Laden on the road to blow something up. And he has a, a vision of Jesus and instantly he's changed from a man of, of hatred and, and violence to a man of peace. Like, you know, we, we talk about repentance being a, a 180 degree turn. Literally the word means to turn and go in the other direction. A 180 degree change of direction. Paul experienced a 180 degree change of direction because of this meeting on the road to Damascus. He, he was going there. You think about it. He went down the road of Damascus to Damascus as a persecutor of the church. He walked back up that same road a couple of days later as a champion of the church. It was a radical change. Father, we ask you that the people we have to do with God would encounter you, Jesus, and would be radically changed. Amen? Because our society is not going to be changed by cute Jesus stories. It's going to be changed by people who have been radically changed. The third thing we notice about Paul is the change was thorough. This this meeting with Jesus drew a line in the sand for Paul. Writing to the Philippians later on, we're going to look at it in a couple of minutes. It says, this one thing I do, forgetting what was behind. Jesus drew a line in the sand for Paul and he moved forward from that day. So many of us struggle with our past, yeah? Some of us find it difficult to get beyond our past. And sometimes for good reasons. Sometimes there's stuff that we've done in our past and stuff that's been done to us in our past is hurtful, it's, it's, it's limiting, it's caused us to be maybe a prisoner. But in this particular case, the impact of the encounter with Paul was so thorough that he was able to say, I forget what is behind me. And I'm reaching forward to what's ahead of me. We, we need those kind of encounters, don't we? To change us and to give us a way forward. It's amazing to think that this guy who was a Pharisee, just a few years later, was talking about those that would circumcise people in the flesh as mutilators. It's amazing, isn't it? He he just completely... And you you read what he has to say about the Gentiles. He completely turned his back 
on the traditions. In fact, there's some writers that say that Paul, during the time he went away into Arabia, they suggest it was about 14 years. And what actually happened in that time, because when he's writing, Paul says, I did not receive what I have as teachings from men, but I received it from Christ directly by revelation. There's many writers, many scholars who believe that during that time in the desert there, Paul had encounters with Christ that actually um, revealed to him the truth as he expresses it in the New Testament. And what they say is that he basically took the Old Testament and filtered it through the cross, holding on to only that which is current because of Christ. Because later on he writes to the Colossians and says, look, I don't want any of you to be captured by any kind of philosophy that's not according to Christ. He was determined that everything that he expressed and everything that the church built on was built on was built upon the one whom he encountered on that day on the Damascus Road. That everything be according to Christ. We've been kind of looking at these encounters over the last few weeks and, and I think we can divide the encounters a bit into two different types. There were blessing encounters that changed people's life. The, the woman with the issue of blood is one of those. We don't find any reference to her going forward in the scriptures, only that she was completely healed that day. Her encounter with Jesus was a blessing that resulted in a healing. Now, she may have gone on and become famous. We just don't have the record of that. The same with Zacharias, although there was, sorry, not Zacharias, Zacchaeus, although there is a record of his repentance and his acts. But the second type, and this is the type that uh, Paul would fall into that category, the other one would be someone like Nathaniel. Remember, one of, the, uh, one of his friends brought him to Jesus, and um, Jesus said, I saw you under the tree before Andrew, I think it was Andrew, anyway, whoever it was brought him to Christ. And he went, my Lord and my God. Which is kind of a, a strange reaction really, just a bit of a story about a tree. But there was something in them what Jesus said to him that caused him to go, wow, wow. And it was a follow me moment. It was a destiny-changing moment. It was a purpose-changing moment. Now, we need both types of encounters. We need blessing encounters because there's many of us who need a blessing of a healing, a blessing of a deliverance, a blessing of a new job, a blessing of a wife, a husband, etc., etc. We need those kind of encounters. But the other, we also need the encounters that are destiny encounters. Encounters that change our life. Encounters that have impact going forward. Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. In this encounter, Jesus 
speaks to Paul about his destiny, about what he was going to do, about what would be his lot, his work, his suffering going forward. And at the end of Acts, he's standing before King Agrippa and he says, Oh, King, I've not been disobedient to that vision I received on the road that day. God showed me what I would do, how I would serve him, how I would suffer for him, and all of those things have unfolded in my life. And I've not been disobedient to to him. We all need these kind of things. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2.10 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. God has a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. Philippians, I think it's chapter 2. Where are we? And uh, no, 2 Timothy 1.9, I'll do it in order. That Jesus has called us with a holy calling. He saved us and called us with a holy calling. Philippians 2.13 says that God is at work within us to will and to work for his own good pleasure. And then Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. There's no question in my mind that God has a plan and purpose for each of us that involves significance. I don't believe that God has called any of us just to be insignificant Christians that sit, on, sit at church on Sunday and go home. Because he says, and I, and I believe in church on Sunday. We, we were praying about it in the service this morning, in the prayer, prayer meeting this morning. And, uh, and I wanted to jump up and pray something, but I didn't get a chance because everybody else just kind of pushed in in front of me. And I, and I wasn't worried, you know, because I knew I was going to get the microphone later. So, you know, I'd have a go. But um, Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there. Would you walk into the room, Jesus, today and change everything? That's what we can taste today. He promises to be here. And if he's here, we can meet him. And if we can meet him, he can change us in a way that a thousand weeks of alpha and courses and discipling and this and that will never accomplish. Because we see his magnificence and everything else pales into insignificance. Yeah? That's what happened to Paul on that day. He saw his transcendent magnificence. And everything else that had been important to him up to that time, including capturing, imprisoning and killing Christians, ceased to matter. Such was the power of an encounter with Jesus. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. I think we're there already, are we? No? Yes? What? Okay, apprehended. We're about to embark on a study for about two seconds of my favourite Greek word in the Bible. And it's the word katalambano. I'm, anybody who knows me and has, has spent 
uh, the hours between about 6.30 and 8.30 in my presence would know that I'm a cop show freak. I love it when the good guys capture the bad guys. You know, one of my favourite shows is uh, NCIS LA, but I can never work out what, they never get to question anybody because they just shoot them. But I love it when the good guy captures the bad guy. This is exactly what that Greek word means. It means to seize or to lay hold of. Paul was riding along the Damascus road on his horse, minding his own business, fomenting his plans in his heart, and Jesus broke through and apprehended him, captured him against his will. That's what he says. He says, not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of. Catalambano, that I may apprehend, that I might capture like a thief that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of, seized, apprehended, captured me. That became the overriding passion of his life from that day forward to capture the thing, the destiny, the purpose for which Jesus apprehended him. Who listens to um, Radio Rima of a Morning? Around about, I think it's just after Joyce, maybe just before seven, there's Word of the Day by Bob Gass. Anyone heard that one? Yeah. Yeah. You sad people that listen to Radio Rima. My dog listens to Radio Rima all day. He's a very Christian dog. And uh, we put Radio Rima on him. So just to keep him quiet and passive at home while we're not there. But I remember listening to Bob Gass. Bob Gass would be a man probably in his 80s now. And he he sounds quite old on the the thing. But I, I heard him... Oh, gee, it's a long time ago, babe. I heard him 40-something, 40 years ago maybe. And he preached on this verse. And he said, if the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, can narrow it down to one thing to do, it's probably worth paying attention to. Yeah? And he says this. Next verse. No, go after that. Already passed there. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. And this is the thing that he does. He says, I forget. All of us have stuff that we should and need to forget. Why? Well, because Jesus has fixed it. Yeah? If he's walked into the room and changed everything. The, the things that we hold on to so powerfully 
And I haven't got time to go into this. This is one of the weeks of the six-week series. But just, just briefly, there's stuff that's been done to us and that we've done that we hang on to and we can't get past. Because, and, and often for very good reason. When we encounter Jesus, those things become insignificant in relation to him. Now, I don't want to dismiss it. I don't want to be dismissive because I know these things are powerful. I know in my own life they've been powerful. I don't want to dismiss them. I don't want to treat light of them. But what I want to say is an encounter with Jesus will change your perspective on them so powerfully. They just won't be important anymore. And so, so Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Number two, the second thing, he says, and reaching forward. We need both. We need both. Reaching forward, in other words, making the future, making what's coming up our goal. Now, that's not necessarily, I'm not talking about living in the future like it's going it's to be better in next year or it's going to, I'm talking about in the next moment. In the next moment, whatever's coming up is going to be so significant because Jesus is here with me and together we're going to do something in the next moment. And all of us who have experienced Jesus do stuff in and through us know that in a moment, Jesus can do some amazing thing through a word, through a prayer, through a touch. He can come and do something incredible in somebody else's life through us that we had no anticipation was going to happen. I remember when we were in Bible school, one of the guys came to, to college that night and his hand was, all, was like that. And he said, I, I don't know what I've done, but I can't move my hand. It was it stuck in a permanent cramp. And so we all just gathered around him. We had no anticipation. We didn't know this was going to happen. But here he was and his hand was like that. And anybody that's written notes in Bible school will know, because that was back in the old days when we didn't have iPads and stuff. We had to write it with a thing called paper and a pen. Fancy that. But everybody will know that that is not the best position for your hand to take copious amounts of Bible college notes. So we stood around and prayed for him. And as we prayed for him, his hand just opened up instantaneously. Now, I'd like to say that my days have been dotted with a plethora of experiences like that. But the fact that I'm pulling one out from about 42 years ago would be an indication that maybe not. However, it serves, it serves as a testimony to me that the next moment, I don't know what can happen because Jesus walks into the room. It could be a moment that changes the world. It could be a moment that changes your life. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then lastly, he says, I press. I press. I don't believe that pressing is a physical action there. I don't believe he was doing push-ups or bench presses, or other kind of presses. I think what it was is that's an attitude that he developed in his life. I'm pressing into the next moment where Jesus does something amazing. I'm straining for it. I'm moving toward it. I'm pressing in my life. I want to ask you this morning, and my mouth is so dry that I get to the place where I can't say my words anymore, so I need to take a drink of this water. 
Ah, that's better. Tongue no longer stuck, stuck to the top of my mouth. I want to ask you this morning, are you pressing? Have you stopped pressing? Were you once pressing and you've shrunk back from the press? I want to encourage you this morning, don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. 